morning. I'll be welcoming you to Crossroads. I am excited about today because we are bringing to an end our series, The Social Dilemma, where we have been spending the last three weeks looking at the power of media and really more importantly, social media and that little phone that you carry with you on a daily basis and how that thing is influencing your life. It's not just information, it's influencing your life in ways that I don't think we understand. It, influence what, it influences what you think about yourself. It influences what you think about others. And probably the most important thing is that little thing is starting to influence the way that you think about God. We said that in the very first week. Your theology is really, and we all have one, even if you're an atheist, you have a theology. It's what you think about God. So we've been kind of drilling down and looking at that the last several weeks about the power of media. And if there's anything we've discovered over these last three weeks, it's that God wants to do something different in our world. God has a desire to write something different in our world. And if you were with us last week, we talked about how God wants to do something different in the world, but he wants to use the church to be able to do that. And one of the ways that that, that is going to happen is through discipleship. That's kind of what we drilled down on last week. Becoming discipleship is really just becoming more like Jesus. And this whole idea of becoming like Jesus, when you think about it, I was thinking, how, how can I kind of make you understand this or help you understand this? It's, it's actually what we find in the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission is really about Jesus telling us that he wants us to go into the world and to make disciples. He doesn't say that he wants us to go out and make duplicates of who we are. He wants us to go and make disciples and make a difference in the world by making disciples. And really, honestly, that's what the Great Commission is. That is the Great Commission. And, and, and it kind of tells us that the church needs to be leading, leading the conversation in the world. I mean, think about it this way. In everything that's happening in our world, the church really should be leading the conversation in all things. Because here's the thing. If the church is going to be the hope of the world, then we've got to change our perspective. And we can't just be the hope of our world. We have to truly be the hope of the world. And, and you know, I was thinking about, again, as I'm kind of marinated in this and where we were going to be going to kind of wrap this series up, it kind of reminded me uh, of my parents and how my parents handled discipline at my house. I, I know it's a lot different for a lot of people these days. Again, I bore the, the leg whelps of many a belt whipping. Anybody had one of those, you know? I mean, dude, I mean, and, I, and I was round and round she goes. You know, I was in a circle, and they were just chasing me with the belt. I mean, it didn't do bad. I mean, it did good. I mean, but again, but again I, one of the ways that I remember they, they, they disciplined me is... If, if I had got into a disagreement with uh, somebody in the family, somebody in the neighborhood, my mother would oftentimes make me sit at the table until I got my attitude right. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? I mean, again, she would say, you know, okay, here's what you're going to do. We didn't call it time out then. You're going to sit at the table until you can change your attitude. And I would literally have to sit at the table in the kitchen while she would work until my attitude changed. And, and, and again... She basically said to me, you're going you're gonna to stay there until you start acting like the person that you're supposed to be. You're going to sit there at the table until you start acting like family. Because again, one of the things that brought me to the table was my inability to get along with other people. 
that's something that I, you know, I mean, you, you know how you'd, get, you'd have a disagreement, you'd have a difference between somebody and you, and, and, and again, this argument or a fight or somebody would hit or somebody would throw, and that would land me at the table. And my mother said, you know what, you're going to sit there until you can learn how to act right. You got to sit there until you can act like family. And as I thought about it, I thought that's a great place for the church to start. Because I think it's time for the church to understand that we're family. All of us, right to left, front to back, black, white, male, female, we're all family. And until we have that understanding, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how you vote. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. We have to have the understanding that we're family. Because here's the thing. The thing that brought me to the table where my mother said, you're going to sit there until you learn how to act, was many times a disagreement that I had had with a friend or with somebody in my family. And the point that my mother was trying to make to me was, Randy, you've got to understand, even though you have differences with people, we're still family. And that's exactly the way it is when it comes to the church. And we find this really highlighted in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Here's what it says. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. Now we can see, when we look at this, it goes all the way back to the beginning because, again, we read in Scripture that God made the, the animals, He made the fish, He made everything on the earth, and then He made us. And when God made us, He told us, He gave us a command. He said the command is to be fruitful and to multiply and have dominion over everything that I've created. That, that was what God commanded us to do. I mean, think about it this way. God told us to rule over everything, but he didn't tell us to rule over each other. So this command goes back. And it tells us that we're all equal. That we're all in the family of God. So what does that mean? It simply means that when you gave your life to Jesus... Your preferences became subculture to the kingdom of God. Your color, your socioeconomic background, all of that became subculture to the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, we are all family. So let me tell you what that means, Crossroads. It means that we can't leave the table until we start acting like family. It means that we can't leave the table until we start acting like family. That's how important this is. And the more you think about this, that's when you understand that as followers of Jesus, 
we're going to have to incorporate some things in our life that allow us to live that type of life. There are some principles, there are some things that we're going to have to do if we're actually, because again, you're going to have differences from the people over here. The people over here are going to have differences from the people in the back. You know, sometimes it's going to be different. So how do we act like family? Well, I, I think there are three things that you have to do. Here's the very first thing I think we have to understand and we have to do if we're going to be those people who act like family. We have to love intentionally. We have to be intentionally or intentional with our love. As followers of Jesus, as the church, listen to me, we have to lead with our heart, not with our hurt. We have to lead with opportunities and not with our opinions. Because think about it this way. The, the Bible tells us that everywhere that Jesus went, he drew a crowd. We, all, we know that. I mean, Taylor Swift ain't got nothing on Jesus. <laughs> everywhere that Jesus went, there was a crowd. And when Jesus looked at the crowds, he knew that the crowd that he was looking at was sick and diseased. We hear the stories all the time. He knew that. And if Jesus looked at the crowd and knew that there were people in the crowd that were sick and diseased, Jesus never expected more from the crowd than he should because he knew what the crowd was like. He knew who was in the crowd. So it means that when Jesus looked at the crowd, I mean, we see it in Scripture all the time. It tells us. It says when Jesus looked at the crowd, what did he have? He had compassion on the crowd. I mean, he didn't criticize them. He had compassion on them. It's like, and, and again, I'm not speak, I'm speaking for Jesus, but I'm not speaking like he told me to tell you this. But it's almost like Jesus said, I'm looking at the crowd. I know there's some sick people who are here, people who need help. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the pollution. That's what he was thinking. I want to be part of the solution in helping these people, not part of the pollution. And see, here's the thing I've come to realize. When we read the Bible, the Bible tells us that the, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. I mean, we see uh, in Proverbs, I can't remember where it is, Proverbs. We also see James talk about the power of our words, the power of the things that we say. The Bible tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. But can I just differentiate that just for a moment and tell you that I believe the power of life and death in your culture is in your thumbs. It's in your fingers. It's in the things that you post on social media. It's in the things that you say. The power of life and death is what you're posting on social media. And we spent our time last weekend diving into that and talking a lot about that. Because it simply means with this social dilemma that we're all facing, we're going to have to be intentional about how we love. We have to love intentionally. Even though people around us believe and act differently than we do. Let me give you another principle that I believe and I see when it comes to the church, act, church acting like family. And again, this is something that we need to incorporate into our life. And it's this. We need to listen. We need to listen intently. Because, see, one of the problems that I think exists is that we don't want to listen. 
And the reason you don't want to listen is the same reason I don't want to listen. It's because everybody has an opinion. And everybody in culture has to be right. And we just don't want to listen to them. We just don't want to hear it. And think about a conversation that you might have had. Think about a conversation that you might have. Because I will tell you this this morning, if your goal in that conversation is to get someone to buy in, to believe, and convince them of your truth, it's never going to be a conversation. It'll never be a conversation. But if your goal is to listen to someone... To listen to somebody else's experience, which may be an experience that you have never had. That simply means that when you listen to that person, that person is going to begin to believe that they can be safe with you. Safe enough to share where they are in life and what is going on in their life. I mean, I can think back to 2020, you know, just after the pandemic started, we had the social unrest going on. And, and I can even remember that there were some of us here at Crossroads who pulled up a table one day and we just sat at the table with the sole purpose of listening to where somebody else was, to what was going on in their life. We just sat and we listened to people who had different opinions than what we did. Different experiences than the things that I had experienced. And I'm just going to tell you, it wasn't that comfortable at first, but I will tell you this, I learned from those people by me just sitting there, not, not trying to push my opinion on them, but by sitting there and listening to what they had to say. Not trying to force what I believed on them, but just listening to where they were in their life at that time. So we have to love intentionally. We have to listen intently. And here's the third thing. We have to learn. We have to learn purposefully. And that's what the church needs to do. Let me, let me just say this, because... This may be one of the reasons why you like it here or you don't like it here. The church needs to start to listen and to learn. The church needs to quit being a know-it-all. And let me tell you, I say that very, very humbly. I have been around lots of Christians who think they know everything. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I have been around pastors. And, and again, I, I say this. Maybe this is the reason why our Facebook Live wouldn't work this morning. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I'm going to say this to you. I, I, you know, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I don't like a lot of times being around other pastors because they're know-it-alls. It's their way or the highway. See, I kind of walk into to conversations. I, I just want to learn. I want to listen to what you have to say, and I'll learn from you. I may not believe everything like you believe what you say, but, but you know what? It, it opens my eyes. It gives me a new perspective. But one of the reasons why I don't hang around a lot of pastors and pastors groups is because it's always about how many are you running? How much money do you have? How much? I'm just, I, that's not interesting to me. If you're a know-it-all, I don't want to be around you. 
So the church needs to, to learn purposefully. We need to listen. We need to love. Because when you look at what it says in Psalms 133, here, but here's what it says. It kind of brings it home. Look at what it says. It says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's invaluable. It's like costly anointing oil. So when we love intentionally, we listen intently, and we learn purposefully, you know what that does? Listen, listen, listen. It brings unity. It brings unity. And I want you to hear what I'm saying because a lot of you don't understand what unity is. Unity is not conformity. Unity is different things coming together for the same purpose. Unity is different things coming together for this purpose that is the same. Unity is disciples of Jesus Christ deciding that we can still have dominion like we were commanded to do, even though we have differences. We can still have dominion even though we have differences. Because we have to come to the place where we understand that the blood of Jesus Christ is flowing through our veins. And because of that, we're not going to turn our backs on people who have differences with us. And that's what I told you last weekend. I said, I'm just going to go back over the last three weeks and draw out some things that to me have come to the surface. Because I believe there's some things that we need to see. And one of the things that I really highlighted more specifically last week than any of the other three weeks is how in our culture I see people being so unkind to each other. I mean, they're just unkind. I mean, you know, there are really brave people behind a smartphone, really brave people behind a keyboard. And here's what happens. When somebody disagrees with somebody else, the natural inclination in the culture today is just cancel them. They don't believe like me, so I'm just going to cancel them. Because we're living in that culture. We're living in a cancel culture. And last week, I talked with you about how I believe we've got to replace the cancel culture with the kingdom culture. I mean, think about the last three years. From 2020 to 2023, we have gone from crisis to crisis to crisis. It started with a pandemic, from a pandemic to social unrest, from social unrest to political unrest. It's been one crisis right after the next. And here's what I've come to understand. It's a crisis that begins to expose things. A crisis will always expose things. A crisis doesn't change our values. It just exposes them. And with all the crisis that you and I have been living through the last three years, maybe four years, we've come to the place where most of us feel like, you know, we're forced to choose. I'm forced to choose one side or the other. It's Republican, it's Democrat, it's, it's red, it's blue, it's this, it's that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we feel like because of everything that's happened, we're being forced to choose. 
And if people are not on our sides, then what do we do? We naturally, in this culture, we cancel them. Now think about this. We cancel people, and we don't even look at how much good they have done with the rest of their life. We just write them off. And last weekend, we talked about this cancel culture. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe that the reason that there is so much canceling going on is because it's easier to cancel someone than it is to admit that they don't have the perfection that we are demanding of ourselves. So we just cancel them. But see, I think the gospel gives us a great option here. Because kingdom culture is greater than cancel culture. But the question is kind of, how do we do that? How do we incorporate that? How do we make that happen? How do we get a kingdom culture to circumvent and to, and to rule over the cancel culture? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go to a very simple verse here in just a moment, because I believe Jesus gave us a blueprint for how to make that happen when he was actually teaching his disciples how to pray. Jesus did something in teaching his disciples how to pray, and, and what he did actually changed the kingdoms of this world. Look, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Here's what it says on the screen behind me. It's really easy. I mean, 12 or 13 words. I, I should have counted them. I didn't, but anyway, here's what it says. It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Most of you know that. And Jay's going to leave that up there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because really, that, that's a blueprint for heaven to invade earth. I mean, there, there are some words in there that I think are key to helping us kind of get this kingdom culture going in our lives. And the first word is the word will. It, it comes from the Greek word telema. And that word really has two meanings. It means what God has determined to do and what God wishes to be done by us. So really what Jesus has invited us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his way of inviting us. It's his way of inviting us into the things that he wants us to do through us. It's an invitation to us to do the things that he wants us to do. And let me tell you, that's confirmed by the next two words, the words be done. In the Greek, genoma, which means for things to come into existence, for things to, to come onto the stage. So that's what God is doing. God's waiting for you to take the stage. He's waiting for his church to take the stage. That's why Paul later would write, all creation is waiting for the manifestation of God. Listen to me, Crossroads. We're not to follow the trends of the world. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are the trendsetters. We don't follow the trends. We are the trendsetters. We're supposed to be leading the way by showing the world a new culture, a kingdom culture. Which leads us to the third word, 
earth, which in the Greek means cultivatable land. Cultivatable land. And Jesus is not just referring to the created world, but to culture. And basically, he is saying that he wants his church to be so filled with the culture of heaven that it can begin to change the culture of earth. That's the reason why it's time for us to be the people that God has called us to be. It's time for the followers of Jesus to take stage so that the world will look at us and say something about us like there's something about them. They're different. The church is to make a difference. And if the church is going to make a difference in this world, listen to what I'm about to say. If the church is going to make a difference, we have to remain different. We can't be like the world. We are the ecclesia. We're the set apart. We are God's chosen people. We are God's royal priesthood who are called out of the sin of darkness into the light. And we are to be modeling a new culture. And that culture, listen, 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 is a culture of unity. The church is the only thing that can display unity that the world will never be able to replicate. And we have to be the ones that are leading the way. Because what needs to happen, listen, listen, what needs to happen in our world, what needs to happen in our world cannot happen by the world. It has to happen by the church. Again, let me reference Galatians 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So as the church, as the church, we take our place at the center stage, at center stage. And a real part of this kingdom culture is that as the church, we realize that the one who unites us is actually greater than anything that could divide us. I got up this morning. I must live kind of live under a rock because I did not realize that there had been another shooting yesterday in North Texas. I did I, I honestly, and I say this. I want you to understand this. I don't watch the news. And I got up this morning. I went to the office, logged on, trying to look up some things, and saw that there had been another shooting in North Texas. And, and I actually saw a video. On Instagram, somebody was behind the guy who drives up to a shopping mall. What I saw was he got out of a car, took a gun, and just started to shoot people. And so here's the thing. We're, that's, that's fresh on our minds because if you remember back, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was a shooting in Nashville. I mean, think about it. We, we, we saw it. We heard everything. And I remember... One of the headlines uh, on some news source that I saw, uh, again, I, I don't watch. When I say news, I'm talking about the big three. I don't watch those. I'll see other little things here and there. But I, I saw a headline that says, when will it stop? 
who can heal our country. I mean, that's what people say. That's the response to, to tragedy. People say, when's it going to stop? Who is the one that's going to heal our country? And, and you look at that headline that you see on the screen behind me, and you know what people are thinking. People think that it's going to be a political candidate. People think that it's going to be a political party or some kind of social reform. Or, you know, if we could just get this law passed or that law passed, then, then that's going to bring the healing to the pain and division that exist in our world. And, and let me just tell you, because I want you to hear me. I'm certainly not saying that you should not sound out your voice. I'm not saying that you can't raise your voice for change. I'm not saying that you can't fight injustice. But the thing I'm telling you this morning is that if you're looking for a politician or a political party to heal our land and make our world better, just look at the last election. When everybody thought that, you know, if we can make a change, it'll all get better, that things are going to change. We voted somebody out, we voted somebody in, and you know what happened? Healing did not come. And things did not change. And I just want you to hear me. Peace will never come after an election. Peace is never going to come after a political system. And the thing that's so sad about this is that people are losing hope. And Christians that I know are living in fear simply because they look to the wrong person and the wrong place to find their answers. So if there's anything this morning that I would encourage you with, it's that as Christians, we need to understand, listen, listen to what I'm saying, that our hope is not contingent on the latest news that you're finding on that little smartphone. Our hope is not contingent on the latest news that you're getting off that little phone that you carry with you. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a trustworthy, a much more trustworthy source. And in Ephesians, it tells us the very place where we can look for answers. Look at what it says. It says, our hope, Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. And not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And many of us would read that. And kind of in the line that we're talking about right now, somebody may come up to you and say, well, who, who is it that can bring hope to our world? And our answer would probably be Jesus. And you know what I would say to you? You're about half right. Because Jesus did come to the earth to bring hope and healing. Jesus did come to the earth to bridge the divide. 
and to bring reconciliation. He, that, that's why he came to the earth. But have you noticed something? He's not here. Jesus is not here. But his body, the church, is. That's who we are. You and I, listen, listen, you and I are the body of Christ on this earth. You and I are the one to bring the message of reconciliation that the world needs to hear. And again, when you look at this, it shows us, it tells us that as the church, as followers of Jesus, we have a purpose. Look at Ephesians 1. God made him, Jesus, head over all things for the benefit of us. For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ. Who fills all things, now look at what that says, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now think about that. Think, think, think. He chose us to fill us with himself so that we could go out and bring hope and healing to the world. That's our purpose. We're actually made for this. We are actually made for this moment. A beautiful, diverse but undivided church. Think about that. Beautiful, diverse, undivided church. And as that church, we're unstoppable. Because we're the ones who have been called to bring a message of hope to everyone, a message of hope to everyone everywhere that we go. And that's our purpose. But the strategy of the enemy is to attack us. Now listen, track with me, to attack our unity. Because the enemy knows, Satan knows that a divided, disjointed, dismembered church is powerless. And it's weak. That's why we have to understand our power is our unity. And the enemy knows if he can stop our unity, then he can rob us of our strength. That's the very reason that we see this in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Look at what it says. It, it speaks very specifically. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're going to have to fight for unity and peace inside the church. Did you hear me? We're going to have to fight for unity and peace inside the church so that we can carry this message outside the church. It's an inside-out job. The job begins in the church so that we can carry the message outside the church. That's why it said, what, what we just read just a moment ago, it said, make every effort. You know what that means, make every effort? In the Greek, you know what that means? Make every effort. 
It means you're going to have to fight. It means as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to fight for unity. You're going to have to fight to keep the peace inside the church. And I'm going to tell you, I am blessed to lead a church that is unified and peaceful. But it only takes one or two people getting it sideways. But this is who God has called us to be. But to have that, let me tell you, we have to fight for that. And it reminds me when I went to Israel. I've been to Israel several times. In 1996 was my first trip. And, you know, I, honestly, I went by myself. I know it's kind of weird, but I went by myself. I traveled with a group, but by myself, I knew nobody. My wife gave that to me as an anniversary present. I don't know whether it was to get rid of me or it was a present. You know what I'm saying? Because I was gone two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, and, and, but it was, it was the most eye-opening and scary trip of my life. And I, I get to Israel. The food the first time is just terrible. I mean, I couldn't find a McDonald's anywhere. You know what I mean? And, and, and so I get there, and, and I'm, tr I'm struggling with the food. And, and one of the things, I'm in Tiberias, which is on the Sea of Galilee, and I am sitting in this kind of courtyard, and I constantly see these young people who have military outfits on, and they're always carrying a gun. Now, you don't see that over here. And I asked somebody, I said, what's, what's the deal? They're all, you're, you are or were, I think you still are, required as a, an Israeli that once you re reach a certain age, you have to serve three years in the military. They issue you a weapon, and you carry that weapon with you everywhere. You sleep with it. You eat with it. You carry it to the bathroom with you. I mean, it's everywhere. You carry it with you everywhere. They train you to use that weapon, but they also understand that Israel has been under attack in so many different ways from so many different countries that they want their people to be there and to be prepared for the fight that may come. But at the same time, by carrying their weapon, they're also serving as peacemakers. So the same training that allowed them to be a fighter also is the same training that allows them to be a peacemaker. And that's what the scripture is talking about. If we're going to be the church that's going to win the world, it's going to take all of us, Crossroads, fighting together to keep the unity. And let me show you where it begins. It starts on your knees. You have to fight on your knee. Oh, I knew he would say that. We're in church. I mean, I would just expect him to say that. But you know that verse in the Old Testament? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent from their sin, I will hear from heaven and I will touch their land and I will heal their land. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, people prayed the same prayer. And God sent Jesus. 
And what marked the ministry of Jesus was what? Was healing. Healing is the very thing that made it evident to the world that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was actually the Son of God. Because Jesus brought healing everywhere that he went. And see, I think sometimes we make a mistake because we, we are praying to ask God to change our leaders, bring healing to our land. And we think, listen right here, right here. We think that healing is going to come through the change or the change of heart of a political leader or a political party. But sometimes I wonder if Jesus wants us to join him in his prayer. Because Jesus already prayed that may we be one like he and the Father are one. So that the world would know and that the world would believe. And it made me just start to think, maybe it's time for you in your prayer life to stop telling God what he should do. Maybe it's time for me to stop telling God what I believe he should do. Maybe it's time in our prayer life tonight, tomorrow, in the morning when you get up. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know when it is. But maybe it's time for you to quit telling God what you want him to do and start asking God what he wants you to do. What is it that he wants you to do? Because let me tell you this morning, he's already given us the plan. He said it, if you and I are one, unity, if you and I are one, then the world's going to know. So I think that means we need to start praying in a different way. Because part of prayer is not just talking to God, part of prayer is hearing from God. And this work gets personal. Maybe we need to just start asking questions. Because that's where it gets personal when you start fighting this thing on your knees. Maybe you need to ask God, who is it that I need to invite to dinner? That I have never had dinner with before. Just to have a conversation. Because here's the thing. Listen, unity starts in relationship. Did you hear me? Unity starts in relationship. And let me tell you, what did I say at the very beginning of the message? We don't get up from the table until we're family. They may be a different color from you. They may have a different political view than you. They may even look at faith different from you. But unity begins in relationship. And we don't get up from the table. So who does God want you to invite out to dinner? Ask him to show you. Maybe ask the question, God, what can I do? So that I just don't tolerate diversity. But I can actually celebrate diversity. And what it brings to this calling that you've given me. God, what can I do to make sure that the things that I post on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and social media... 
What can I post and be careful of posting to make sure that what I post reflects this diverse calling that we have to unity as a follower of Jesus Christ so that we can be the church that God is calling us to be. And let me just tell you, if those start to become the prayers that you pray, can I just be honest with you? I don't think you're going to like the answers that you're going to get. But when you think about what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. What did he say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. See, children reflect the image of their father, whether they like it or not. My children like to claim their mother. They don't like to claim their dad, okay? So, I mean, I know that. But whether they like it or not, they still are in the image of their father. They reflect the image of their father. And people are going to call us children when we ask those kind of questions in prayer. Because we are reflecting the heart of our Father, who is that one who has a heart for unity. Our Father in heaven, who always has a heart for reconciliation. And Crossroads, this is something we have to do. What did I say last week? There's no other plan. There's nobody else coming. It's us. God has left us here. God has called us to be the peacemakers. He's called us to be the ones who fight for unity. We are his sons and his daughters. And God as a peacemaker, who is a peacemaker, that means that we have to look like him. And we need to be the ones that run toward the conflict. We need to be the ones that are part of the solution, not part of the pollution. So I have a challenge for you this week. I want you to have two conversations. And I want you to go into those conversations with one goal, to ask questions. Not to prove anything. But walk into that conversation with the sole goal of listening intently. Ask questions so that you know how to have and to pray for that unity that Jesus was praying for in the Garden of Gethsemane. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there anything in your life that's shutting other people down? Because they believe differently than you do. Or maybe they vote differently than you do. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you those things. So that you could be a part of what Jesus was praying. May we be one. So that the world would see us and our unity and they would believe.
Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much this morning for your people who took the time out of their schedule today to make it a priority to come to church. God, we thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, that it shapes us and it makes us into the people that you have called us to be. God, we pray that we would be the people of unity that you've called us to be. Not people of uniformity, but unity. That in spite of our differences, we can come together for a common purpose. And that's to lift up the name of Jesus. That God, we can be peacemakers. That we, God, understand that we're going to have to fight for unity and peace inside the church so that we can carry the message of hope and reconciliation outside of the church. Because we want to be the people that you've called us to be, that when the world looks at us, they will say there's something different about them and they'll desire to have what we have. And that is a personal growing relationship with Jesus Christ. God, continue to grow our hearts towards you Turn our eyes towards you and let our words and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.